This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. Happy COVID-19 greetings to everyone. It's another episode of the conversation. We're all in our little superhero lairs spread out across the world. And uh, honestly, you know, when I think back on all the different conversations we've had within the conversation, uh, bringing people in from remote locations is sort of what we've always done. So in a way, and nothing has changed, but hope you are well tonight. And I have to be honest and tell you that I needed this conversation that I'm about to have with Alex Salmon. I needed it tonight. Uh, I needed it because I can get bummed out as you look at progressive setbacks as you look at setbacks on things that you feel are of frankly a moral imperative i'm talking about things happening at the supreme court level you see the system just grinding progressive virtues out and so this is a story of progressive success in the face of the machine that was trying to grind it out and alex salmon who writes with the american prospect welcome to the conversation it's great to have you here thanks so much for having me Alex, that's my long intro. I'm going to shut up now, but I want you to try to just take people through what I'm talking about, which is a a piece that you've just done, which really goes through, I think, an encouraging story of how sort of the ragtag progressive machine went up against the big nasty D triple C machine and then came out on top. Absolutely, yeah. So it's easy to kind of to think about this election season 2020 as something of a defeat for progressives. Obviously, had some high hopes going into the into the cycle with with the Bernie Sanders campaign and the Elizabeth Warren campaign, and a lot of these policy initiatives were very popular. Um, obviously, that didn't work out so well. But there there were some some serious victories for the kind of progressive campaigns world in this cycle, and and it kind of began. In, in March 2019, so you know, very early on in the cycle, when the DCCC, which is responsible basically for incumbent protection within the House, uh, issued a statement that said that any firm that works with a challenger, implicitly it was a progressive challenger, uh, would be blacklisted uh, from working on high dollar uh, red to blue campaigns. And that decision uh, wasn't actually a huge newsmaker at the time, unless you're a very close watcher of it. But in in theory, was was going to choke out uh, money and talent from progressive campaigns and kind of uh, take the teeth out of them at, from the very get go. And yeah, what and happened? I mean, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I do want to make a point. This is extremely important. What you're saying, it's one thing for the DCCC to go, okay, we're going to support this incumbent. We're supporting this incumbent with money. We're supporting this incumbent with advertising, whatever, with uh, with consultants. But what you suggest, what this blacklist is about, is no. But if you help the progressive candidate, if you go up against the incumbent, we are going to ice you out as a vendor, and uh, and and we're talking about big, big money, and you will be done with the DCCC. That's right. That's right. And it, yeah. That, and, and so 
for someone who works in campaigns, if you're a strategist or a pollster or a consultant or a vendor or any of these things, having access to, to the DCCC and, and its campaigns where, where you know exactly where the, where the big money is, that sort of stuff can sustain you as a, as a professional, it can sustain your business, it can make you able to, to make payroll. And so for them to, to threaten this was, is, is a huge shot across the bow for progressives. And, and you know, it's, it's something that when it happened, again, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge newsmaker, but for those in the know and those involved in, in progressive campaigns, this was an existential threat. And, um, you know, and, and, and so it kind of kicked off that 2020 campaign cycle on that note, which was, you know, we were going to see basically, is, is this a death knell? Can, can progressives overcome this and win? And now, you know, 18 months on, we can say, actually, in a lot of ways, progressives use it to their advantage. And what we've seen come out of this is incredibly robust campaign infrastructure that is winning races all over the country, and it's winning them in serious numbers. And, and so that's a sort of result that doesn't fit so tidily with, with kind of the, the broad narratives that have, have predominated in this campaign cycle. But it's a very important development for progressives going forward. Uh, and especially as they look to, to accumulate more and more political power in Washington. Yeah, and, and take us to this this thing that happened, this phenomenon, because you're just looking at it. If you just freeze in time, you think, well, you're kind of screwed then, because now the the big D-trouble machine has turned on these vendors, iced them out. But as you suggest, that's not what happened. I mean, the uh, the challenge, the progressives rose to it. And the result was the opposite, and it really has set down a template for the future. That's right. So it became something of a, of a life, life or death moment, uh, certainly for a lot of progressive firms. Because if you have no access to this, this stream of funding, your candidate either wins or you're going to go hungry. And so all these firms kind of had were in, in the same position. Their fate was basically determined by the outcome of these races. And so... In a lot of ways, it drove them into collaboration. So you had pollsters working with strategists, working with vendors, working with outreach people. And they not, it is, there's no necessity that would have said that they were going to collaborate to this degree. But because they were all on the outs, someone in Democratic, they, they end up coming together, they end up gathering, and they end up you know, sharing notes and, and swapping strategies. And, um, and and gathering on on dccblacklist.com, so they, they in fact bought the domain name <laughs> and became kind of a, a kind of one stop shop, a digital gathering place. And out of that, you get this very coordinated, very effective, and very thorough uh, campaigns machine, which you know obviously for those who who've watched the left for a number of years, never a group that gets uh, criticized for being too organized or or uh, too too uh, <laughs> determined in terms of strategy. And so it's it's a significant development, and it's something that reproduces itself again and again. And of course, when it comes to winning campaigns, that's the, that's the bread and butter. That's the key to success: is not doing it once, not not winning a one-off. But can you win campaigns repeatedly? Can you win them in separate states? Can you win them in in all sorts of conditions? And that's something that we've seen in this cycle, and, and it's extremely promising going forward. Uh, you know, as you're speaking, I think of those movies where the you know, the football team from the rich high school shows up and all the uniforms are matching and everybody looks great and they arrive in the like the gleaming bus. And then the progressive bus pulls up and it's these a bunch of buses and station wagons and people roll out and the uniforms kind of look the same, but they don't really. But 
at the end of that game is what you're saying. And I know the game never really ends, all kidding aside. I mean, it's an ongoing struggle. But the early, uh, the early scoring really did bear out the fact that that, as you suggest, that this team, which came from all these disparate spaces within the progressive movement, could actually put points on the board. It's very much like the bad news bears. Yeah, I, I like that analogy quite a bit. It's uh, yeah, and and it's interesting too because you know obviously we have the squad in 2018 where you see Alexandria Ocasio Cortez win a big primary. You have Ayanna Presley winning a big primary. You have these kind of theories of electoral change are being put to the test. But at the same time, in 2018, uh, that the the overarching narrative was. Actually, moderates are the ones who get the goods. That the Democratic Party flipped the house on the strength of these these uh, these stern and 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 centrist politicians who who give no quarter to the progressive movement. And this second cycle was really actually the first time to to test this, where you could say, okay, we're not going to surprise anyone at this point. The the DCCC knows what's coming. These incumbents know what's coming. Um, and and here, you know, we're being told again and again, progressives. They don't have that much allure. They can't really win except for in these marginal ways. And then we have this cycle where, in fact, we see huge upset score. And so it's not just that the, the bad news bears are, are are putting points on the board. They're you know they're they're winning games against uh, you know serious serious contenders and and you know many many term incumbents and, and such like that. And and that is a big paradigm shift in democratic politics. As we wrap up, or just in the last couple of minutes we have, can you mention a couple of those big races to which you just referred? Absolutely, yeah. So I think that the Jamal Bowman race in New York's 16th district is probably the the most prominent one, or maybe the best exemplar of this, um, where he took on Elliot Engel, who was a 16 term incumbent, um, and and you know really did so uh, despite a fundraising disadvantage with the strength of this uh, kind of campaign machine. So that was one such example. Um, Mondaire Jones in New York and in neighboring district, he. Put together a similar campaign. He ran in an open seat. Uh, Nita Lowy was was retiring, but she may not have retired if not for his uh, his campaign in the first place. Um, Marie Newman in, in Illinois is another one, and then of course uh, Corey Bush in Missouri. Uh, she took out Lacey Clay, who is a, again a many term incumbent, uh, and, and those I think are the big four. But you could even say that there are. Um, there are, there are results yet to be determined that will be uh, settled in November that could even add to this. And, and you know, the, the kind of the bench is growing at an at at extremely impressive clip in a lot of ways. It, it's faster. You than, know, but, it, yeah, I, I, I love this conversation with you because of uh, some of the things that we've talked about um, uh, pertaining to the fact that it's not a big money thing. It's not a, it, it's, it's built on ideals. And of course, you do need money and grassroots support. And I think so many of these progressive candidates and progressive causes have that. But the challenges are going to be significant because, you know, obviously on the national level, there there is even bigger money and even more grotesque use of power. So I want to refer everybody to your piece in the American Prospect, Alex Salmon. And I guess we can follow you on Twitter and we, you know, probably link to everything. But if you want to see Alex Salmon's latest stuff, go to at Alex underscore Salmon. And Salmon is spelled, spell it for us, please, Alex. S-A-M-M-O-N. So I just wanted to hear your voice again before the, uh, we wrapped up. So um, that was my big wrap up finish. Hey, Alex, honestly, you know, I mean it. 
I needed to see your piece. I needed to read it. I needed to read about progressive victories. I needed to read about how, even though we are in many ways being crushed by a lot of powerful, rich entities, that the progressive movement can not only exist, but can flourish as independent entities are working together. So thank you. I look forward to reading more. Mark Thompson here on the conversation. This is exciting because I get to talk to an honest to goodness Republican who has come over to the now, Matt, have you come over to the dark side or you come over to the light from the dark side? This is a, I didn't really think this through, but Matt Matter, it's a pleasure to have you here and you're you're making a difference. I'll tell everybody about your, your organization. But first tell me, do you feel as though you've, you've walked into the light, Matt, from the darkness? Well, I feel like I've been in the light and, and trying to stay in the light is, is always a challenge in politics in any way, shape or form. So that's that's really what I'm trying to do. Well, you're the founder of Championing America and you've come up with these inventive spots and they speak to a lot of the issues associated with Trump and they speak to them in these ways that you have to speak now, which is when I say spots and talking about commercials, they're hard hitting, they're clever. You do a thing with a Mr. Rogers twist where essentially, you know, Fred Rogers ish guy is sitting there watching his television as one thing after another that the Trump has done as the administration has done. One a horror that is perpetrated after another is played out before him. And the spot is why I don't want to pay it off, you know, here as we in the conversation, it's worth a look and we'll link to it. But but tell me, is that the is that the oomph that there is behind your organization? I mean, you're an entrepreneur, so you're a guy who's built this organization from scratch. Is, is it that, is it messaging? I guess, what, what is the organization as a whole? Well, the organization is, is more centrist based and I'm right of center or have been historically. But I was kind of brought into the political domain by the outrageous behavior of President Trump. And I had been a Republican and never had voted for a Democrat for president my entire life. And so I ran against President Trump in 2020 in the primary to give Republicans a choice to say, hey, this isn't the direction the Republican Party should be going and and we should make a change. Now, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But now I'm, I'm throwing my support behind Joe Biden because I believe that Joe Biden is a centrist and would be a better choice for our country than Donald Trump. So. When you look at the GOP now, and if there's time, I can't wait to ask all these questions about. So when you say you're a centrist, do you like this or what do you accept this? I will get to all that. Everybody who's tuning in, you know, us progressives, we love to fry our own. And you can only imagine the purity test that we, you know, we'll put you through if there's time. But 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 all kidding aside, when you look at the party now, I mean, what's left? What is it? I mean, tell me what the GOP is now. Well, I think that it's become more and more the party of Trump. And all ideology is centered on what Trump says at any given moment. And he shifts the the center of gravity in the party away from a fiscally responsible party to one of profligate spending. He shifts the party away from a long history of environmental concern over 50 years to one that rips down every environmental law. Uh, that he could. Uh, so he 
he shifts, I mean, a party that was pro-immigration to one that's virulently anti-immigration. So the, the party that I belong to and, and millions of others have joined up into decades ago has just shifted out from under us because that's it's the party of Trump now. It's it's no longer the Republican Party. I uh, can't believe I'll say these words, but I'm going to, and that is to be fair to Trump. <laughs> I I saw the, and you must have seen as well the slide of this party uh, over the last couple of decades, or or was that did the party always seem as though it could find magnetic north? That seems to me that your party has drifted for a while now. There's no doubt that there has been a change over time, and and. Uh, We've we've drifted from where George Herbert Walker Bush had said he wanted to be the environmental president back in 1988 to his son W, who certainly was not as virulently anti-environmental as as his as Trump, but he certainly was following kind of more a Cheney-esque pattern of. Of not really addressing global warming when we should have been addressing global warming back in the early 2000s, and unfortunately that was a terrible move. And I think Cheney was probably pushing in that direction. Certainly, that was an administration, that particular one to which you refer, that was ruled, I feel, in large measure, infiltrated, you might even say, by big oil and dirty energy, and so you were not going to have any breakthrough concepts. It didn't seem, you know, at least in in that in that sphere. But but as you as you look at things now, do you see Biden as the path back to you jerking your party back into into line or shaking loose these Trumpies, and so you can get back to that side of the street, or do you see in yourself almost a a reconstituting of where you are politically? I think that I I don't have my soul as part of the Republican Party. I mean, they don't own me. So they only got my vote because they stood for things that I thought were important. Back when President Reagan was virulently anti-communist and was confronting the Soviet Union and the totalitarian regimes around the world. I felt like that was our greatest threat, and that's why I was drawn to the party. I was also drawn to the party due to its free market views. And I thought that on balance, it had the better end of the equation. And unfortunately, over time, the Republican Party has shifted in ways that are that are not good for the party and not good for the country. So, so I would hope that it could shift back, and, and I quite frankly think that a more centrist Joe Biden will help that process of of getting Republicans who are more centrist trying to grab those centrist votes. Versus I personally think that a more left wing Democratic Party brings on a guy like Trump. So I think that he feeds off of the fear of, of more progressive policies in, in part. I see what you mean by that. I mean, I see, in other words, you can advertise those things that are sort of viewed as the most radioactive progressive policies. And maybe controversial is a better word than radioactive. But I mean, to certainly some on the right, you know, you just even mention AOC and it's it's enough to, you know, get the Geiger counter of panic going. And I can see, but 
one of the things I respect about progressives is that they is that they they share some of these ideals and that they they're upfront about it. But the notion I also feel as though um, at at our best <laughs> on that side of the spectrum, we're ready to compromise. It seems as though the notion of compromise has has left your party, the Republicans. Well, that's why I started this super PAC, the America championing America at her best is is to say we should be a country that looks at principles before personalities and looks for ideas. George Washington didn't want to have political parties. So I'm I'm somebody who says, let's look at the idea versus the party. And and I think that if we could do that more, we'd have a better political dialogue. And I think that back within recent memory, there was there was more cooperation between the parties. I mean, Newt Gingrich and Clinton compromised and and did some good work in the 90s. We saw Tip O'Neill and President Reagan do some good work back in the 80s. So those things are possible, and and we should work really hard to to do that yet again. It really seems as though we've come we've come so far away from. As you suggest, those ideals that that are American, you know, the voter suppression alone, that was always, frankly, something that we dealt with, and I feel it was an embarrassment. The voter suppression, gerrymandering, both parties did it, but it's particularly egregious, I think, on on the from the Republicans. But the the, the open voter suppression now that it's it's a naked voter suppression and essentially inviting foreign powers to. Also, aid in an election. It, it's it seemed unthinkable to me, and and yet it's all too real. Well, it's it's certainly shocking that President Trump is inviting Russia and China to interfere in our election, and and that is just absolutely beyond the pale. And that's why I, you know, vociferously oppose him because he is a threat to American democratic principles, and and those are more important than party and. And I'm calling on fellow Republicans and independents to vote for Joe Biden because our our democracy is more important than our party. One of the things that I think is a particular positive with you is that you've you've I I think anyway sort of put together a coalition of like-minded people. You know, people who might not have been on the same parade line four years ago or eight years ago, whatever it might have been. And you put together money with it. Do you think that's the future of politics? Sort of, sort of the kind of coalition that you've now begun to put together as well, breaking from that you know, falling in line kind of attitude that the right has often had. Absolutely, I think that we do need to show that we're independent and that we don't just follow the party blindly, and that they have to earn our votes. And I think that that's true of both sides. And I think that it's a healthy thing that there are a number of. Democratic congressmen who are in centrist districts who have to listen to their voters. And that will help modulate the change and do it in a way that everybody can live with. Well, Matt Mattern, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'll I'll tell you this also, you made two references, I think at least early on to the environment. And for that, I, I cherish guys like you who are in the GOP, I feel it's an it's for me the issue, and the fact that you spontaneously mentioned it a few times speaks very well for your heart. And I wish you the best of luck, and I hope that you'll continue to come to the progressive 
camp, you'll realize, Matt Mattern, that you're on the right path with us. And I encourage everybody to check out Matt. We've got links to his spots, and you can also see his link on Twitter as well. So, Matt, thanks for everything. Thanks for the conversation. We look forward to more from you. Thanks for having me on the show, Mark. I greatly appreciate it. It was great talking with you.